Welcome to our Woodlands Weekend Worship Service. We are so thrilled that you've chosen to worship and learn with us together. Wherever you are and however you might be accessing this, our passion as a church is that you would faithfully follow Jesus. If you're new or would just like to take your next steps in that journey with our church, we'd invite you to click on the next steps link wherever you are and fill out that connection form and let us get in touch with you. Before we turn our attention to worship, I have a couple of quick announcements. First, we are thrilled to be starting our outdoor worship services next Sunday, June 28th. Those will take place right here at Woodlands Church. We'll be outside in the parking lot. Services are at 8, 9.15, and 10.30. It's a bring your own chair, bring your own coffee sort of commitment. And there is more information about those services, including parking locations, on our website at woodlandschurch.org. I want to be clear that we are going to continue to produce this same high-quality online weekend worship service if you don't yet feel comfortable gathering in person. I would encourage you to watch Pastor Brian's video updates throughout this week on Monday and Thursday for more information about those outdoor services. Secondly, there's a couple things coming up this week at Woodlands Church that you should know about. First, on Thursday, June 25th at 6.30, we're hosting Discover Woodlands. And so if you're newer to Woodlands Church or the Woodlands family, we'd love to answer whatever questions you might have, give you a little background to our church. So that's happening in person at 6.30 on Thursday. And then on Wednesday, June 24th, we are hosting a Red Cross blood drive. Their blood banks are starting to get a little low and we want to help support them. There are a few spots left to sign up and we would invite you to do that. Finally, on July 1st, we are excited to again begin in-person youth group for students 7th grade all the way through 12th grade. That's starting on July 1st. More information about those and other announcements, sign-up forms, all of that stuff can be found on our Woodlands Church website or on our app. If you have questions about anything, I would encourage you to go there and look for more information. We continue to be disappointed that we're not able to gather in person, but we're reminded that in Christ we are united in faith and we worship together. And so let's turn our attention to worship. Hey, Woodlands Church, wherever you're joining us from, uh, we are so glad that you joined us for worship today. And no matter where we are, uh, just as an important reminder, uh, we are united by the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Paul says that in Ephesians, that uh, God is building up his church as a dwelling place uh, for the spirit here on earth. So wherever you are, Uh, whether that's in your bathrobe or uh, with your family, join with us in singing out loudly and boldly uh, to our King who has claimed us as his own. The sun 
those words are true, that let those words be true of us, God, that with every breath that we are able, with every action that we do, that we would sing and show your goodness to this world. God, we praise you for your goodness toward us, represented in that truth that you sent your only son to die the death that we deserved. And you claimed us as your own, as a people for yourself. God, in light of that truth, we pray that you would teach us and shape us to be more like Jesus. That this world would see Jesus in us and through us. So, God, wherever we are with one voice, we pray all these things in your name. And all God's people said, amen. Hey, everybody. Uh, hope you're doing well. Uh, thanks for joining me on a Zoom call. In light of, uh, in light of Father's Day coming up, uh, I wanted to ask you guys a question um, about dads, because uh, honestly, dads are a really big deal. Uh, they're super important to our Woodlands community and really to our community and our world in general, um, the role that they play in our lives and uh, the role they've, they've played in kind of shaping us to be who we are. So I just wanted to ask you guys a question about your dads. So uh, Hiroko, can we start with you? Sure. So first, uh, Hiroko, <laughs> uh, why are you thankful for your dad? I am thankful for my dad because he taught me about the power of quiet and consistent love um, my past, uh, my dad passed away 12 years ago, mm. and there's one thing I will always remember about him. That is, when, ever since I came to the United States, um, after graduating high school, he was always the one to call me mm. consistently and very frequent, frequently, too. And uh, the funny thing is, he's not much of a talker, so when he calls, he would only talk for a few minutes and he would give the phone to my mom while I'm still talking to him. <laughs> so <laughs> I used to tell him like, well, you know, why do you call me if you don't want to talk to me? But, you know, the, this came to realization that even though he didn't say much, but he had a way of showing me that he cared for me and he thought about me all the time. And especially when we are apart and I was new to this country and being apart from family and loved ones, that his action always gave me the comfort and just the strength, you know, knowing that he cares for me and loves me. And that was really important. So wow. that I'm very grateful. And I'll always remember that. Mm. That's beautiful. Wow. Uh, Aaron, what about you? Like, why, why are you thankful for your dad? Yeah, um, I'm thankful for my dad for a number of reasons. Um, the first one being that uh, he kind of, um, at, an, at an early age, and I guess throughout my life, I've seen um, consistency as well, kind of what Hiroko was saying, consistency um, in having integrity um, with small and, and large things, honestly, but um, just the, the importance of kind of just taking your time doing a good job, whether that's, whether that's um, with work, whether that's with, um, I don't know, house chores and, and small things like that, um, but just doing it well and, and doing it um, for the right reasons and, and having good character through that um, as well. Um, uh, another thing that I am really thankful for is um, 
both my dad and I kind of came to faith at a, around the same time. And so like, I got to see, um, I don't know, some of his character traits and some of, um, some of, some of the, the flaws that, that he had, I got to see those change. And, and as he grew closer to Christ, I, I saw, um, I saw um, kind of some of the selfishness go away and, and a little bit more selflessness when it came to just prioritizing family and, um, and just the, the importance of spending time um, with, with loved ones there. Um, and then also just discipline too. I, I would see, not, not always see it, but I, but I would just um, know that, that he was spending just, just from seeing um, throughout the day here and there, just know that he was spending time in, in his Bible um, and spending time with, with the Lord regularly. So um, yeah, so like growing up, I got to see that heart change and I got to see um, some of that consistent um, discipline, which was something and still is something that I, that I need to work on. Um, and, and that I, that I saw him prioritize, even though he was busy pretty often and stuff. So then on top of all of that, he's just someone I can go to with um, questions about pretty much anything, you know, house stuff and work stuff and um, faith stuff. So I, I know that I can ask him questions about any of that stuff and he might not always have the answers, but he'll have uh, good steps for me to take at least. So. Hmm. Wow, man. Yeah. I, I echo so much of what you guys uh, just shared there. I know like my, my, uh, my dad passed away six years ago this March and um, he modeled that, he modeled that work ethic uh, in a really, really uh, ethical, strong, strong character way. I know many times he was kind of challenged with um, facing situations that could have been where he was, could have been unethical in his job. And he chose the, he chose the right way, but um, you know, Hiroko, I totally get that too, where the idea of uh, I remember being in college and uh, my, my dad would call me and it would end up kind of being a conversation with me and my mom, but uh <laughs> his action stepping out there to say like, you know, I, I care for you. I'm looking out for you. But I remember one time he, um, uh, in, in his selflessness, he actually had the opportunity to uh, potentially take a new job that was going to be way better than the current job that he had. And he looked at um, me and my siblings in our current life stage and just said, uh, it's probably not worth it uh, for what this kind of does to them in this moment. Um, and he weighed that cost benefit analysis and stuck it out in a job that, um, kind of stunk for a, a little longer than he needed to. Um, that was really impressive. But I mean, Father's Day is not only just about dads, right? Um, I think there's father figures too. So I'm springing this on David too. But I mean, um, David and I, our dads passed away uh, within about a year of each other, uh, very close to each other there. And I think uh, after my dad passed away, David and I just started having a lot of really good, powerful conversations uh, about life and long term and what that looks like. And it's been cool in the church to experience that father figure um, scenario of stepping in. So um, sorry, David, sprung that on you, but David, why, uh, why are you thankful for your dad? Thanks, Matt. My, my father, Ray Hanson, Matt's right, uh, passed away January 1 of 2015. If you go into my Bible, um, Matthew 5, which is my favorite Beatitudes passage, uh, Ray Hanson is the name that's written in the margin. My dad lived that out. He was a selfless, kind, merciful, gentle man who um, just his, his life was all about Jesus. And in his, he was tenderhearted. And I think 
as I think about my dad today, he was not um, on this earth when I accepted the call to be a part of the staff team at Woodlands. And if I had a conversation with my dad at any point in that uh, transition, I know that he would have been very quiet and there would have been tears of gratitude streaming down his face. Mm -hmm. And that gives me a picture of how Jesus loves me, that my dad was not about what I did, he was about who I was and, uh, mm. and who I am in Jesus. And I'm forever grateful. Wow. Wow. Well, guys, I mean, thanks, thanks so much for sharing your hearts about your dads. I mean, that's, um, you know, Father's Day, Mother's Day, these kinds of days can be tough to talk about these kinds of things. And they can also be really joyful, but uh, we can all kind of agree on one thing. Uh, on, on this Father's Day, the dads are uh, really important. And uh, to all the dads of Woodlands, thank you for who you are and what you do and the role you play in our lives. So guys, can we wish them a happy Father's Day on three? Uh, Absolutely. Uh, one, two, three. Happy, happy Father's, Father's Day, Day, everybody. Hey, fathers and grandfathers, let me uh, add my congratulations to you and hope it, that you have a great Father's Day weekend. Thank you, as that video highlighted, for all the things that you do as fathers and grandfathers for your families. I want to pray for you and uh, pray for our time in the Word together, so please join me as we pray. Father, thank you for the fathers and the grandfathers of our church community. Thank you for their faithfulness and their love for you. Thank you for the way they love and lead their families. Thank you for the way that they provide and protect their families. Thank you for the way they tirelessly serve and care about their families, both their children, their grandchildren, their wives. God, I thank you for the men of our church that you've called to this high role. And I just pray that you would bless them in the tasks that you've called them to, that you would give them persevering and enduring strength to do what you have called them to. And I pray that this weekend as they celebrate Father's Day would be a joyful time for them and that you would refresh them and encourage them in this high calling that you have called them to. Father, now I pray that as we turn to your word, which is our ultimate and final good authority for how we should live, I pray that you would speak to us and teach us from it. I pray in your name. Amen. You have probably used this phrase at some point in your life. This is getting old. Maybe you've used it in these days of shutdown and all the craziness that's going on in this culture. We tend to use that phrase, this is getting old when we get tired of something, when it wears on us. And certainly this season that we're in could have a tendency to do that. This morning, thankfully, joyfully, we're going to be in a text of scripture that reminds us that God is the God who makes all things new. The God who, in fact, in the Old Testament promised to make all things new. And that promise to make all things new is the season in human history that we now live in. We are in that all things new season. We are in the new normal. So this morning we're going to look at a text from 1 Peter as we work our way through this book which brings us encouragement in difficult times. And we're going to see that there are three new normals that mark our lives. 
in a season of change and chaos when we wish for something new, we're reminded again that God has already created the new for us and that we get to stand in it and live in it every day. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1 and we're going to look together this morning at three new normals. We'll begin reading at uh, verse 22 of 1 Peter chapter 1. It reads like this, since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which has been preached to you. The first new normal that we have as Christ followers is that we have a new life. Peter here uses a phrase that Jesus himself used, a phrase that is probably somewhat maligned in the culture at times, probably misunderstood, but a phrase that is so central to the Christian faith. He uses the phrase born again. That phrase reminds us that we as Christ followers have a changed life, a new nature, a new life. This text uses that phrase and it's a phrase that describes that at the core of the Christian life is an experience so radical and so life-changing that it can be described, is described as being born again or reborn or born to newness of life. Before we dig into the text and look at what it tells us about what this experience of being born again is, this new life that we have as an abiding possession, let's think back to what Jesus said about it. Uh, Jesus uh, met this Pharisee, Nicodemus, and Nicodemus had questions about what it means to believe in God and have eternal life. And Jesus here used the phrase, you must be born again, Nicodemus. And in his explanation of it, he highlighted two things about this phrase, born again. He highlighted, first of all, that it's a work of the Spirit, that this is something that the Spirit of God does in our lives that he is the author of the new life that comes through the born-again experience. Jesus in that text highlighted that for us. Second of all, he highlighted that you cannot be a part of the kingdom of God. Or we could phrase it this way. You cannot be a Christian, a Christ follower, without this initial experience of being born again. So it's a work that the Spirit does. It's absolutely essential to be a Christ follower, it's absolutely essential to have eternal life, to be part of the kingdom of God. And Peter adds two more things that we learn about what it means to be born again. The third thing that Peter adds to this uh, discussion of this idea is that it leads to a changed life. Look at how he introduces this phrase in the text. In verse uh, 22, again, he says, because you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls fervently love one another. And then he gives the reason or the ability for us to love one another. He says, because you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. Peter is saying, in essence, you have a new life implanted in you as Christ followers. And that new life 
is a changed life. That new life enables you to love people fervently from the heart. That new life that God has implanted in you drives out self-centeredness and self-absorption and makes you the kind of person that by God's grace can love other people. The second thing we learn from uh, 1 Peter here and his description of what the born-again experience means is that it happens when we hear the gospel and believe it and receive him of whom the gospel speaks, that is Jesus Christ. I want to put uh, verse 23 up on the screen for you this morning and let's look at it a little bit. When Peter introduces this phrase, born again, he describes it this way, for you have been born again. By the way, this is the second time that Peter's used this phrase. Uh, Only Jesus used it in John 3 and Peter in his book. He used it first in chapter 1, verse 3. He said there that we've been born again to a living hope. Here he says you've been born again, and he's getting at, well, how does that happen for a person? And so he explains to us, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, but rather through the living and enduring word of God. He's saying that when we hear the message of the gospel, when the good news about Jesus Christ comes to us and we believe the gospel, we believe that we are sinners in need of God's grace. We believe that the only way for us to experience salvation and forgiveness of sins is through Jesus Christ. When we believe that and then open our hearts to receive the one of whom the gospel speaks, the Lord Jesus Christ, then we are born again. So it's the message of the gospel that leads us to receive Christ into our lives and begin this new Christian life, this new life. I want to dig a little deeper into the concept, the idea of being born again. I want to dig a little deeper into the new life that is the new normal for us as Christ followers. Let's think for a minute about the beginning of the born again experience, the beginning of the new life. How does the Bible describe it in its many descriptions of the new life that we have through Christ? How does it describe it? Well, it describes it as in, in one way, it describes it like this, that at the beginning, when we first believe Jesus and God changes us from the inside out, he writes his word, his truth, his law on our hearts. The new covenant that we as Christ followers live under is so different from the old covenant because in the old covenant, the law of God, the will of God was external. But through the gospel, when we are born again, God changes us internally. Jeremiah the prophet spoke about God writing his word on our hearts. So the written word is impressed inside of us. Our disposition, our desire for, our disposition toward, and our desire for God's word is changed. Prior to Christ coming into our lives, the word of God is outside of us and over us and our sin rebels against it but when we bow the knee to Jesus Christ and invite him into our lives suddenly he gives us a desire to want to do his will to want to obey his word 
This is why this phrase is used to describe the new life. It's born again. It's like you are a new creation, another phrase that is used in the Bible. So the beginning of the Christian life is God writing his word on our heart, giving us a new desire to obey him. I've used this illustration before for those of you who've been around here at Woodlands, you'll maybe remember it. But I remember when I was first born again as a freshman in college and uh, when I first asked Jesus into my life and one of the many sins that marked my life in those days was taking the Lord's name in vain. And I remember, because I can remember the spot walking across the campus at Iowa State University. And you know how you have this talk in your head sometimes, you think about what's going on in your life and there's an internal conversation. Or is that just me? Maybe I'm crazy. And anyway, it happens inside of me. And uh, so I remember walking, or walking across the campus and thinking about something that ticked me off. And I, in my head, I took the Lord's name in vain. And immediately there was this check in my spirit. And immediately there was this, I don't want to do that anymore. That was God's law written on my heart. That was the spirit of God who had changed me from the inside out, giving me a new disposition toward his will, a new desire to do it. The second idea that happens at the beginning is not only is the written word written on our heart when we're born again, but the living word, Jesus Christ, the one who is also described in the Bible as the word, the living word, Jesus Christ, the resurrected one, he comes into our lives He becomes a part of our lives in a way that he wasn't before. And so at the beginning of the Christian life, two changes happen. When we have new life, when we're born again, our desire for the word is changed by the Spirit of God. And Jesus Christ is now present in our lives to be our strength, to be our leader, to be our guide. It's an incredible beginning, but it's only a beginning. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 describes this beginning this way. It says, therefore, if any person is in Christ, he is a new creation, is a new life, is a new creation. The old things have passed away, and new things are, are, in the text reads in the original language, are continually coming. There is this change that happens inside of us. In fact, the change is so, so profound that in 1 John chapter 3, it says this, In verse 9, it says, No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed, that is the presence of Christ, abides in that person. And and he or she cannot sin because he is born of God. Please understand that text. It doesn't mean we never sin anymore, but it means that if you're genuinely born again, you you won't live a life that is marked by unrepentant, un remittent sin in your life there will be a change in you verse 10 by this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God nor does the one nor the one who does not love his brother so the text like many others says this that when a person really is born again when they have new life in Christ it will change their life you'll see it you'll experience it The second uh, thing I want, as I dig deeper, I don't want to just talk about the beginning of this new life. I want to talk about the growth of this new life. Let's go on in, uh, back to 1 Peter, and let's go on and see what he says next about the growth that happens in this new life. Verse 1 of chapter 2. 
Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. He's still referring back to that born-again experience. Because you're born again, because you have a new life, put aside the old life. And like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Let's put verse 2 on the screen a little bit and look at what that growth process looks like for us as Christ followers. He says like a newborn baby longs for, cries about, craves, needs milk, we as Christ followers should long for the pure milk, the unadulterated word of God, the truth of God. And he says, so that by it, by what? By the word of God. By the word of God, you might grow in respect to your salvation. He has this little phrase in the text in the next verse, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. And the idea there is, look, if you've been born again, if you've tasted of his kindness and his mercy, then keep growing in him. You might be wondering, sometimes, you know, we throw this idea out there about what it means to grow in Christ. And that can feel kind of nebulous. Like, what is it? So what am I supposed to do? What, am I, what does growing in Christ mean? In one of our values, we describe what growth looks like this way. We say growing means to increase in the knowledge of, the trust in, the dependence on, and the obedience to Jesus Christ. I think that's a great description of growing. We grow in our knowledge of who he is. And once you know who he is, you'll trust him. That will lead to a greater trust. And as you trust him, you'll depend on him more to do in you and for you what you cannot do. And what is it that he wants you to do is to obey him. So we grow in knowledge of trust in, dependence on, obedience to Jesus Christ. These are the marks of a growing Christ follower. So I'm a dog lover, as uh, you know before, so I kind of like this illustration and I kind of don't because I'm a dog lover, so just hang, hang with me. Stuart Briscoe, who used to pastor Elmbrook Church in Milwaukee for a number of years, used to describe how do we grow in the Christian life and he described this tension we face between the old life and the new life, the new nature and the old nature. That's described in Galatians chapter 5. And Stuart Briscoe's analogy was, he says, it's like, he says it's like two dogs. And if you want to grow as a Christ follower, you feed one and you starve the other. I don't like the imagery of starving a dog, but his point is well taken. What you feed in your life, if you feed the new nature, if you feed yourself with spiritual truth, if you feed yourself with spirit-empowered resistance, you'll grow. And this new nature will be more and more manifest in you. So that's the first new normal. It's that we have a new life. And the second new normal is that we have a new identity. The text shifts to this idea of identity, that we have a new identity, that we are, you could use this phrase, we are Jesus' people. Our lives are all about Jesus Christ. It's all about what he wants for us, how he wants us to live, how we can serve him and exalt him and live for him. It's all about Jesus Christ. We are his people. And this text in 1 Peter gives us, I think, one of the best descriptions 
of our new identity as Jesus people, as his followers. I'm going to put the first couple verses up on the screen for you from 1 Peter, or excuse me, yeah, 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 4. Here the text says this about our new identity. It says, coming to him, referring to Jesus, as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious as in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So he begins to use in in a description of both Jesus and us this imagery of stones and he says Jesus is the, the living stone referring to his resurrection from the dead and we are also living stones, plural, as his followers, we too are raised to newness of life. He's referring to that new life that we now have. And he says, as living stones, we are being built together as a spiritual house. That is, the church, the people of God are growing together so that we might offer spiritual sacrifices to God. That is, that we might offer acts of service to him. That we might do his will and accomplish what he desires in the earth. I want you to notice the two singular Two singulars in this text and two plurals. Jesus singular, he's the cornerstone of the church, but it is made up of many plural living stones. Many of us are members of this one church of which he is the head. There is one spiritual house. There's one greater universal church, but it is made up of many spiritual sacrifices that we, the many members, make. It's a beautiful picture in this text of the body of Christ. This stone imagery that's brought out in these words is very common in the Bible. Uh, one of the, it's used in lots of different passages. One of the passages that I want to take you to for just a second, if you have your Bibles, comes from the book of Daniel. If you remember Daniel chapter 2, um, Nebuchadnezzar the king, under whom Daniel served in Babylon, had this vision of this great statue and it was made of all different kinds of metal the head was of gold and then there was silver and bronze and clay and iron and so on and so forth and all those different metals it was revealed to Nebuchadnezzar through Daniel from God all those different metals represented different kingdoms the head of gold was the kingdom of Babylon and God said this about uh, and then and in the vision that Nebuchadnezzar had all of a sudden this stone is cut, and the text says, without hands, and it crushes the statue, starting with the feet, and it turns it into dust. And here's how the text reads in Daniel chapter 2. It says, You continued looking until a stone was cut without hands, and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. And then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were crushed, all at the same time became like chaff from the threshing floors and the wind carried them away so not a trace of them was found. But the stone, referring to Jesus and his kingdom, but the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Down in verse 44 of Daniel 2 it says this, in the days of those kings, referring ultimately to Rome when Jesus came, in the days of those kings the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that we are now in, church, we are that kingdom, which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be given or left for another people like human kingdoms are, but it will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms and so it will endure forever. Daniel paints this picture of a kingdom that was to come that came with Christ, 
when he announced the kingdom of God that will continually be growing. So in the text in Daniel chapter 2, where it says that we are growing into this spiritual house, this is what's happening. The church is getting stronger and larger and more diverse and the glorious vision of God that there would be one people of God made up from people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. That glorious vision is now being fulfilled. And you are part of it, church. Peter is writing to these Christ followers who are tempted to turn away, who are tempted to become discouraged and, and, and leave Christ because of the persecution, difficulty they're facing. He's saying, remember your identity. Remember that you are part of this movement that God prophesied thousands of years ago. Why would you abandon that? And turn away from that. In fact, he goes on to give some encouragement and warning in the rest of 1 Peter chapter 2 to not turn away. Look at what he says in verse 6 of 2 Peter 2. This is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him, that is in Jesus, will not be disappointed. The precious value then, or as ESV translates it perhaps more accurately, the honor is for you who believe. It is a precious value. It is an honor to be part of the kingdom of God, to have this identity that is yours. But he goes on to say, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, Jesus Christ, has become the chief cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to some people. Some people turn away because they disbelieve. And he says, they stumble because they are disobedient to the word. And to this doom they were also appointed. First Peter is written to a group of people to say, among many other things, don't turn away, don't turn back. Don't go back to your old life, which produced death. Don't go back to your old identity, which was to live your own way in rebellion against God. I kind of believe that this was really personal to Peter. Because I think Peter faced a moment when he was tempted to go back surprisingly after the resurrection of jesus christ after he'd already seen christ and yet there was this period of time perhaps when he didn't know quite where he stood with jesus remember he was the one that promised to never leave jesus and yet he denied him three times do you remember that peter was the one that said to his companions it's recorded in john chapter 20 he said i think i'm gonna go fishing there's nothing wrong with going fishing, of course, but for Peter, that was his old calling. It was his old way of life. In three years of living alongside of Jesus, it was probably the first time he started to do that. And you kind of wonder, was he thinking that he was not valuable anymore in the kingdom of God because of what he had done? And you remember, of course, the beautiful miracle that happens, that Jesus comes along while they're out fishing and calls to them to throw their net on the side of the boat they hadn't catch anything all caught anything all night and they haul in this great catch of fish and, and then they realize it's jesus and peter jumps in and he swims to shore and it's it's the same miracle repeated 
that was the miracle at which Peter was called. Do you remember when Peter was called? That same miracle happened. They fished all night, no fish. And he came to shore and he said, you know, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. You must be, I don't know who you are, but I don't deserve to be in your presence. And Jesus said, Peter, follow me. And I'm going to make you fishers, a fisher of men. I have a higher identity for you than catching fish, Peter. And Peter left everything and followed him. But now here he is, post-resurrection, wondering where he stands. So Jesus repeats the miracle as if to say, do you remember when I called you? And then he sits Peter down by the fire and he says, Peter, do you love me? Then shepherd my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Then feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Then stay on task. Peter, do you love me? Maintain your identity as my follower. What is that identity? This is the third new normal. What is that purpose? It's the third new normal is that we have a new purpose. Finish with me, if you would. Um, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 2 and look at what he says in verse 9. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. This is their identity. And here's the new purpose. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter ends with a description of their new identity and shifts into the purpose of that new identity. And it's to be his witnesses, to be his ambassadors, to be his proclaimers. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. All these phrases, but it's for a purpose. So that we might proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So if that's our purpose, what do we proclaim, church? What are we called to proclaim, Woodlands? We get to proclaim his story. We get to proclaim Jesus' story. We get to proclaim that he alone is the one who can save us from our sins. That he alone is the one who rose from the dead. That there is life in no one else. That he is the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. We get to stand up in a world with all kinds of voices and all kinds of opinions and say there's one voice, there's one opinion, there's one truth which triumphs and is supreme over all. And it is the one who came to save us named Jesus Christ. Our purpose is to proclaim that. So we proclaim his story. And one of the ways that we get to do that is we proclaim our story. We proclaim how he came into our life and changed us and saved us from our sins. We get to share that with the people in our family, in our friend circle, and in the places we work. Our purpose is to be ambassadors, representatives, and witnesses for him. And we live out this purpose at two levels. We live it out as individuals and we live it out as a church. We live it out as individuals by realizing that God has entrusted us with the message of the gospel and he's placed us in a circle of acquaintances, a circle of people that we get to pray for, share with, and point toward Jesus Christ. But we get to do that as a church on a corporate level too. We get to, through our church, Woodlands Church, We get to develop programs and 
ministries and services. We get to create all of these things to work together to advance the gospel, to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ. I, I got to tell you, this is probably one of my favorite phrases to describe our purpose of being ambassadors when it says we get to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his light. He is excellent in his character. He is excellent in what he does. And we get to tell that to the world around us. We get to speak truth about God. How do we do that? What's our method? Well, our method is we pray because as we learned about being born again, about new life, that that's a work of the Spirit. We can't, we can't usher anyone into new life on our own. Only God can do that. But we can pray for it. And as we pray for the people around us, the community in which he's planted us, then we can do three things. We share the good news. We get to proclaim the truth. We have to give verbal witness to what we're called to do. It's why we do everything we do around here at Woodlands because we want the message of Jesus to go forward in our community. Second of all, we live good lives because we adorn the gospel, the Bible says. We have the chance to adorn the gospel with our lives. We get to reinforce the good news by the good people that God has made us to be. And thirdly, we do good deeds. He's called us to love our people, uh, the people around us, our family members, and the people of our community because he loves them. We get to be his hands and his feet and love people to lead them to faith. Brothers and sisters, in all the suffering, in all the unrest, in all the differences of opinions that are flying around us in these days, I want to encourage you to not lose sight of these new normals. God has brought new life to the world. He's built a new community of people that he's inviting whoever would to be a part of. And he's given us a new purpose. And at the end of the day, at the end of life, the only thing that will really matter is what you have done with Jesus Christ. All of you who are listening to this message, a hundred years from now, you will all be conscious, either in the presence of God or separated from him. And I can promise you that a hundred years from now, a thousand years from now, 10,000 years from now, the thing that will matter most to you, the thing that you will think about most when you think back on your earthly existence will be what you did or didn't do with Jesus Christ. So we hold on, church, to this new life that God's given us. And we want to share that new life with others so that they can have it too. And we want to stay connected to the church, his body, and maintain this new identity that he's given to us to be his people. Hold on to these new normals, church. Woodlands, this is our calling. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you that just like you promised thousands of years ago when you said you would make all things new, we now live in that age, that season, that time in human history when a new life, a new identity, a new purpose is within the grasp of everyone who would believe. And I pray that we as your people would not only hold on to these new normals, 
but share them faithfully with the world around us so that they too can enter in. Thank you, Father, for this high calling that is ours and for your grace in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, again, fathers and grandfathers among you, happy Father's Day. Have a great Father's Day weekend, and God bless. Thank you for joining us.